The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. So in our text in Philippians chapter 1, Paul begins here and he says, I want you to understand something. I want you to understand. He, he says uh, in verse number 12 right here, but I would ye should understand. Now, when Paul uses this word understand, he wants us not to understand something simply as in the cause and effect. Like, I want you to understand. I want you to, to learn something new. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying, I want you to just gain some knowledge. He's not saying, I want you to simply, um, you know, put something away into your memory bank. I want you to understand. And what he's getting at is not theoretically. I don't want you to understand something in theory theory he says i want you to understand something as in an experience i want you to experience paul says i want you to experience what i experience i want you to believe what i believe i want you to think the way i think i want you to see the world the way i see the world i want you to experience something the reason he says i want you to understand this is because um, it is important that all of us would understand He's preaching to a group of Christians. It's the Philippian church. They know the gospel. They've trusted Christ as their Savior. They're following Jesus, in fact. And so he's not teaching them the gospel for the first time. He wants them to understand the gospel in a way that will help carry them through their Christian life. He says, I want you to understand. Jonathan Edwards um, uses a famous uh, illustration about honey. So where Jonathan Edwards begins to explain that honey, um, if I was to tell you about honey, I could tell you there's two ways to experience honey. I can explain to you that honey tastes sweet, and you can know and you can believe that honey tastes sweet. But when you taste honey, you experience it, and you know it in a new way. You know honey in a way that you never could have known honey simply by intellectually agreeing with me that yes, honey is sweet. And Paul wants us to understand in that way. He wants us to understand. Let's look back at verse number six for a moment here because Paul says being confident of this very thing that he which begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And Paul, um, he wants us to understand something that is going to help carry us through the entire Christian life. Because he who has begun a good work in you will perform it. It's a promise from God. This is God's, this is God that is going to sanctify you. Our life, our Christian life, the Christian experience is not, does not hinge upon our actions. It doesn't hinge upon uh, us making ourselves more Christian, us becoming more Christ-like through things that we do. No, it hinges upon the Spirit of God working into us and transforming our hearts and changing us from the inside out. Um, And so he wants us to understand, he wants us to experience that our sanctification is a work of God. It does include our participation. And Paul clearly teaches this in Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 12 where he says to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And so Paul reminding this Corinthian church of something that they already know 
He wants them to understand. He wants them to, uh, to trust. He wants them to believe what he believes, to see what he sees. He wants them to experience what he is, in fact, experiencing in this moment while he is sitting in prison writing this letter. Um, and so Paul, he, he is, wants us to understand because it is, it is God that works in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. It is God who has begun the good work in us that will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Um, and Paul is sitting, remember, Paul is sitting in a prison. And Paul knows that tragedy is coming to us all. One way or another, at one time or another, hardship is coming our way. There's no avoiding it. There's no escaping it. This is life. And that's something that is so helpful about, about Christianity. About the gospel does not try to teach us that once we trust Christ as Savior, then everything is, everything is well, right? Once I trust Christ as my Savior, then everything's going to be, everything's going to be just, it's going to be downhill from here. It's going to be easy. It's going to be smooth sailing. And, and the fact is this, that it is not always smooth sailing. That tragedy comes to people that love God with all their heart. That heartbreak comes to people that follow Christ. But that heartache and that tragedy does not define us. Because no matter what circumstance we find ourselves in life, we are anchored to Christ. And that, that our identity is found in Him. And, and, and we need to understand what Paul wants us to understand so that no matter what circumstance we may face, that it is this understanding that's going to carry us through. So without beating around the bush, right, what is this understanding? What, what does Paul want us to understand? Paul wants us to understand that our greatest treasure is Jesus. That's what he wants us to get. The, the truth that will carry us through the Christian life, knowing hardship is coming, knowing heartbreak is coming, knowing there is no guarantee of tomorrow. We are all a phone call away. Right? Anything could happen. It's a phone call away from tragedy. We are so fragile. And Paul wants us to understand, if, if we would make, and if we would continue to trust, to believe, if we would understand what Paul understands in this moment while he's in prison, that Jesus is our greatest treasure. That will carry us through. Jesus is our greatest treasure. So Paul, of course, knowing, he says this in verse number 12, right? The things which happened unto me. Have you ever been going through life and all of a sudden something happened unto you? The things that happened to me have fallen out. Has anything ever fallen out of you today? You've been going through life and things seemingly good and then all of a sudden something fell out. There was a falling out. Paul finds himself in prison. There has been a falling out. There's been a hardship. There's been a heartache. There's been a tragedy. Um, he's in prison. Why is he in prison? There, the things that which happened unto me have fallen out rather to the furtherance of, God, of the gospel so that my bonds, he's in prison. Why is he in prison? He's in prison because he's preaching Jesus. He's in prison because everywhere he goes, to anybody he meets, he's preaching Jesus is God. That God became a man, lived 
sinless, died on the cross, was condemned, falsely accused, murdered. He dies in the cross. He resurrects in three days, and he is God. That God became a man. He is the only one worthy of worship, and he is the only Savior for all of humanity. That he is it, that there is nothing and there is no one else. He is God, there is none beside him. God became a man. He's preaching this, and now he's in prison. He's in jail. Is he discouraged? Is he downtrodden? Is he, is he, is he heartbroken? Where is he at? He doesn't, Paul does not know. Now, when we read the book of Philippians, we know Paul gets out. I know that Paul gets out. Paul wrote this. When he wrote this, he didn't know if he was getting out. He didn't know, is he going to live? Is he going to die? Is, is, how is Caesar going to, going to judge? Is Paul going to be released? Or is he going to be a martyr? Now, we see very clearly that Paul believes he's going to be released. He is confident, in fact, that he's going to be released. But the truth is this. He doesn't actually know. There is, right, he, 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 there is some question. Will Paul become a martyr? No one knows. The Philippian church doesn't know. Paul doesn't know. But listen to Paul's words in verse number 18. What then, notwithstanding, every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, right? He's excited. You know what he's excited about? Jesus is being preached. Jesus is being preached by people that think that they're going to add affliction. They're going to, they're going to add to Paul's heartache. They're going to try to preach the gospel um, so that uh, they're going to stir up in, the, in, in Rome. They're going to stir up among the Roman authorities that this Jesus that is being preached, um, right, this is not good, but they're preaching Christ. You know what Paul doesn't do? This is interesting to me. He doesn't, he doesn't, um, he doesn't, say anything against them because they're uh, they're apparently preaching jesus well do you know not all people that preach jesus are preaching jesus well there are a lot of people that would use the name of jesus that what they preach is a different jesus paul talks about to the galatian church they're preaching a different gospel. It's not the gospel. They're preaching something that isn't a gospel. They're trying to push it off as the gospel. They're not preaching Jesus. They're using Jesus' name. They're even referencing uh, maybe the gospels, but they're not actually preaching Jesus. Now, Paul doesn't say that they are preaching heresy. You know what he says? I am glad that Jesus is being preached. Apparently, these people that don't love Paul they're preaching Jesus well. And so Paul doesn't care. Oh, they're preaching Jesus of pretense, not sincerely. He says, I'm just glad they're preaching Jesus. And not only that is um, some of the Christians that Paul has been mentoring and serving and loving and preaching to, they've become emboldened because Paul is now in prison for preaching the gospel. Let's put it like this. What if Pastor Josh is put into prison? Now I realize that you have, um, you have several right, pastors um, that are able, when he's gone, right, Nick, he's, he's preaching and, and other people are preaching. But could you imagine, let's say the pastoral staff, they're all put in prison for preaching the gospel. What's going to happen? I'll tell you what's going to happen. 
people in this congregation that have that may not feel called to be pastors you're going to become emboldened because nobody's preaching the gospel needs to continue to be proclaimed when the pastoral team is gone the gospel needs to become needs to continue to be proclaimed so you're going to stand up and you're going to preach and where while the pastoral team was doing such a wonderful job of preaching christ and now they're not there to preach christ now they're not there to lead the singing and now they're not there you're going to stand up you're going to become emboldened and you're going to say you know what it has christ has to has to be preached he has to be proclaimed and so you're going to be emboldened so paul is saying i love it i'm in prison but I want you to understand that this isn't even a bad thing because Jesus is being preached because there are people that once were maybe a little bit shy. They're now bold to preach the gospel. He's excited about it. Um, And so Paul, will he become a martyr? He doesn't know. But listen to his words. He says, I therein do rejoice. I rejoice. Paul, what are you rejoicing about? I'm in prison. I'm in prison. I'm just rejoicing. I'm just thanking God. I'm just, God, you are so good. God, this is so wonderful. God, thank you for putting me into prison. You guys don't think that's funny? All right. It's early, right? I think this is awesome. Um, I rejoice. Now, he's not, this isn't preacher talk. You know what I mean? He's not saying this because, well, this is what I'm supposed to say. You know, we all, we all kind of do this. We get around church, and we say, brother, how you doing? Is everything going good? Good, brother. You doing good, brother? And we say, brother, because we don't remember each other's names. (laughs) Brother, I love you. And it's true, you do love them. You just can't remember their name. How many of you? No, don't raise your hand, all right? You're going to give yourself away. Um, He's not, this isn't preacher talk. He's not saying this because he's supposed to say it. He's not saying it because he has nothing else to say. He's not saying it because he read the book of Job and he knows. You know why he's saying that? He really is rejoicing in prison. I mean, how does that work? He's in prison not because he committed a crime, not because he did anything unethical. He's in prison because he can't stop talking about Jesus. And he says, I rejoice. I'm just, how do you stop a man like that? Because it's not really about the, the Romans. They think if they can stop Paul, maybe they can stop the momentum of this movement. But the truth is that the, mo- the movement was never about Paul in the first place. You can't stop the gospel because the gospel is not wrapped up in the leadership. The gospel's wrapped up in the person of Jesus, who we've put faith and trust in, and he dwells within us. The spirit of Christ dwells, and, and he will come out. And so you can't stop the gospel by stopping the leadership because uh, we all have Christ. So Paul rejoices because he's in prison. It's the furtherance of the gospel. He has become happy because of what has already happened. He says, I rejoice right? What is he rejoicing over? I'm rejoicing about the furtherance of the gospel, that there are people in Rome that are hearing the gospel, that are hearing Jesus, that never would have heard Jesus had I not been in prison. 
had I not been captured, had I not been put into these bonds, the people of Caesar's household would not understand the gospel. They would not know Jesus. They, I am, Paul is, in effect, saying, I now have the opportunity to reach people with the gospel that I never could have reached with the gospel. And so I am thanking Jesus that I'm in prison because now, even at Caesar's household, the name of Jesus is preached. And he is lifted up. He says, I rejoice about that. I rejoice in what has already happened. The, uh, the disciples in the churches that I'm preaching to are becoming more emboldened because I've been put in prison. I rejoice at what has happened. Even those that would position themselves to be my enemies are preaching Jesus. I rejoice in what has happened. But he doesn't stop there. Paul says this. He says, I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. I have preached about what has already happened, and I'm going to rejoice about what is about to happen. Paul, what's about to happen? I'm either going to live or I'm going to die. Caesar's going to make his, he's going to make his call. He's going to judge whether I live or whether I die. He says, I rejoice whether I live or whether I die. I will rejoice. Now let's keep reading here. He says, I will rejoice, verse 20, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed. He says, I can't lose. How many of you, how many of you, you like sports, anybody? A couple of us, all right. How many of you ever lost? How many of you walked, you walked away feeling a little bit ashamed, like, I tried my hardest, I lost. Kevin Durant's like, I'm going to play for those guys, you know? I'm ashamed, right? Paul says, I can't lose. Whether I live or whether I die, I'm not going to be ashamed. I can't lose. There's no losing. And nothing, I will be ashamed. But that with all boldness... As always. Now, let's, let's get this. That Paul has always been this bold. And so let's, let's not imagine that when the pressure's really put on us, then we're going to become emboldened. Because the truth is this. If you're, not, if you're not loving and serving Jesus now, when it gets really hard, you're not going to love and serve Jesus then. He says... As always, so now also Christ shall be magnified. He says, he says, the point of my life has always been to magnify Christ, to lift up Jesus, to make Jesus look good, to make sure that I am living for him and loving him, to magnify Christ. He says, in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. I rejoice in what's about to happen because it doesn't matter if I live, it doesn't matter if I die, because either way i'm gonna magnify jesus i'm gonna make jesus seen in my life or my death 
Jesus is going to be known. Jesus is going to be lifted up. Jesus is going to be made more famous. Jesus is going to be made to look good whether I live or whether I die. I'm not going to be ashamed. I can't lose. My life has always been about just magnifying Jesus and that's why I will rejoice whether I live or whether I die. My circumstances can't change this. My, my, the, my stuff can't hinder us. There is nothing that's holding me back. He says my treasure is in Jesus. My treasure is Jesus. He is everything to me. He is my all in all. He is life. It doesn't matter whether I live or whether I die. I'm going to magnify Jesus. I rejoice in whatever is about to happen. Paul is joyful. He is content. He is satisfied. He is at peace. In the middle of prison. Listen to his words. He says, For to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. He is satisfied in Jesus. He treasures Jesus. Jesus is his treasure. Jesus is his treasure. He loves Jesus more than anything. Um, he is satisfied. He is fulfilled. He is at peace. He is content. Because circumstances are not what's fueling his contentment. Stuff is not fueling his fulfillment. His fulfillment, his contentment, his peace is wrapped up in Jesus. It's wrapped up in the gospel. Because Jesus is Paul's greatest treasure. There is no comfort and there is no good circumstance or bad circumstance that can change that. This is what Paul wants us to understand. This is what he wants us to believe, to see, to know, to experience, to understand that Jesus needs to be our greatest treasure. This is unnatural for us. We love comfort. We are American. We love comfort. We love it so much. Like we get mad when we're in the drive-thru and they had to make a fresh burger. We get frustrated because the person checking us out at Walmart is a little too slow. We love comfort. We love it now. We love everything, right? We love comfort. But we're Christians, and so we know that we should love Jesus more. But, the, but if we were to ask ourselves to take some evaluation of our own hearts, is it true for us? I'm imagining that's true for probably all of us. And I'll be the first to admit, let me be really honest with you, there are times in my life, while intellectually, oh, Jesus is my treasure, but there are times in my life that I am really seeking that my treasure is my comfort. It shouldn't be, but there are times that it is. Um, we love comfort. We love better circumstances. We treasure our lives so much because that we think we have so much to live for. I have so much to live for, we might say. I, I, success is right around the corner. My career is just taking off. I, I, I'm just about to, to hit some of those financial markers I'm, I'm hoping to hit. I, I mean, my education, right? My, my family, my travel, my fun. I've got so much to live for. Do we love our lives so much? That we've begun to become idolaters. 
Do we love our own lives so much? Remember what Jesus said? Jesus says, If any man hate not his father and mother and brothers and sisters and wife and children, and yea, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Remember when Jesus said that? When he says to hate, he means to love less than. He means Jesus is saying, If I'm not your greatest treasure to the point that your love for me is rivaled with any other love in your life, he says, you can't be my disciple. You won't be my disciple. You will not, you, you will not make it through unless I'm your treasure. You're not going to survive the tragedy. You're not going to survive the heartache. We need Jesus to be our greatest treasure because if we find our treasure in anything else, if we, lo- if we have a love for something that rivals our love for Jesus, we're not going to make it. G- G- Paul writes to the, to the Philippian church, he says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. I want you to understand Jesus needs to be your greatest treasure do we love our lives so much that we've become idolaters let's pause and let's ask ourselves this question what excites me most about my christianity what excites you what what about christianity excites you some of us might think well heaven excites me and heaven's something to get excited about there's nothing wrong with let's get excited about heaven excites me that's what uh, i'm most excited about heaven now, some of us, we might be really excited about heaven because one day our pain is going to be all over. Amen. And that's good. One day, there'll be no more heartache. There'll be no more tears. There'll be no more crying. And we say amen to that. And one day, we're going to have a grand reunion with all those that have gone before. And we say amen to that. But let's be very, very careful. Because... What should excite us about heaven is Jesus and Jesus alone. This is what Paul says just a few verses down in verse number 23. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Do you know, Paul's excited about heaven too. He's really excited about it. He says it'd be far better. But you know why he says it'd be far better? He's not saying it's far better because I won't be whipped again. He's not saying it's going to be far better because I really don't want to get stoned to death again. He's not saying it's far better because, you know, then I don't don't have to go through the heartbreak of of some of my friends in the ministry um, leaving Jesus behind. No, you know what he's excited about heaven? To be with Jesus. And some of us, what excites us about Christianity? Heaven. Well, let's make sure that it's Jesus that, is high, that excites us about heaven. How about family values? What do we lo- you love Christianity? I love Christianity for family values. I love, I love Ambassador Baptist Church because they love kids, because they serve kids, because they've got kids ministry, because they've got check-ins that keep my kids safe, because uh, the kids are learning about, about how to be good little humans. And they are just, I mean, I'm so glad that they teach my children, right? I, I love the family values of it all. Well, that's great. Have the family values. I'm all for your family values. I hope our church has family values, right? Um, Family values, it's good. It's wonderful. 
But Jesus must excite us more. If the reason I'm coming to church is because this church has the best kids programs, or because I know this church really loves my kids, if that's my motivation, I'm missing it. I'm falling short. What I, Jesus is it. Jesus is my treasure. What, what excites you about Christianity? I love the supporting community. Pastor Nick, I love the connect groups here at Ambassador, and I can just, I can get with other people, and I, I can be open and honest, and I, and I can give them love, and they give me love, and I love the support of it all, and I love the connection that I feel, and that is awesome, and we need it, and it's biblical, but the truth is this, if that's the thing that's charging us up in our Christianity, well, we're missing it because it's Jesus that gets gets us excited about Christianity. It's, it's our love for Jesus, our, our seeking Jesus that makes us love connect groups. It's not connect groups that make us love Jesus. You see the, you see the difference? Um, we get excited about heaven, family, um, supporting, community, conservatism, I don't know, uh, uh, you know, helping people, whatever it is. I just want us to know, and I want us to remember, and I want us to be reminded, because I know you're told this. I want to remind you it is all about Jesus. And it has to be. Because unless, unless we are loving Jesus as our greatest treasure, we're not going to make it through. We're not going to make it through. Anything that excites me more than Jesus is something that I've put in front of him. And today, if we're willing to be honest with ourselves and to say, there is something that I've put in front of Jesus today, this is not where you feel condemnation. This is where you fix it. This is where you surrender your heart and say, Jesus, I didn't mean to. I didn't even realize I was doing it, but I've been putting this in front of you, but I love you more, and you are more valuable, and I treasure you more than I treasure anything else, and today we're going to fix it. God is most glorified, John Piper says this often, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And the truth is that Paul is absolutely satisfied in Jesus. And he is seeking to glorify Jesus. Paul is completely satisfied. His desire is to magnify Jesus, to lift him up, um, to show Jesus to be great to all the world, whether by life or by death. He says to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let's talk about that for a minute. What does it mean to live is Christ? To live is Christ, meaning that all this life has to offer me as beautiful and as wonderful as it is, all this life has to offer me is worth less than Jesus. To live is Christ. Jesus is my treasure. I treasure Jesus above anything else in life. I treasure Jesus above my comfort. I treasure Jesus above my money. I, tre I treasure Jesus above my financial portfolio. I treasure Jesus above everyone and everything. He, Jesus is my treasure. To live is Christ. Anything that this life has to offer me is worth less to me than Jesus is. To die is gain. All that death might take from me in this life, all that death might take away from me is worth less to me than Jesus. To die is gain. All that death can take away is worth less to me than Jesus. Jesus is my treasure. When we understand what Paul understands, what will that look like? When we 
experience, when we understand, when we believe, when we think, when, when our lives are truly influenced, if we understand, if we get. You know, this word understand, Paul uses it again in Philippians chapter 3 when he says that I may know him. I want to know him. What's Paul say? I want to know him more than anything in life. I want to know him. Jesus is my treasure. I want to know him. When we understand, when we begin to understand, because we will never fully grasp Jesus. We will never fully. There is always more to know. Jesus is bottomless. He, he, he is inexhaustible. The, okay, you're never going to know everything there is to know about Jesus. Jesus is never going to get boring to you. You can keep learning. You can be a Christian for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years and Jesus just keeps getting sweeter and Jesus keeps getting better because we keep learning and growing and and realizing that Jesus loves us in this way and oh, and he loves me in this way and and that way and and Jesus, he, and it's amazing to know him, to understand. When we begin to understand what Paul wants us to understand, that Jesus is the greatest treasure, what's that going to look like? Well, let me give you a few ideas of what it'll look like. First, we will become content. When we understand what Paul understands, we will become content. We will become full of joy. We will become full of peace. And we will be satisfied. And circumstances can never take that away from us. Why? Because we understand what Paul's getting us to. We understand Jesus is my greatest treasure. And so circumstances of life, whether good or bad, if I lose everything, I still have Jesus. But some of us, some of us losing everything isn't isn't really the thing that's going to tear us away from Christ. For some of us, what's going to tear us away from Christ is if we become wildly successful and financially self-sufficient, where we went from rags to riches kind of thing. And now we've got so much money that we never, I mean, we just kind of fell into it. Now all of a sudden, we feel kind of self-sufficient. I feel like, well, I really needed Jesus to help me get get through the month. I I needed Jesus to help me pay the rent. I I needed Jesus in this place of, of financial insecurity. But now I've got, I mean, I've got more than enough. And we're not really relying on Jesus like we did. I'm not really trusting in him. I'm not really seeking him anymore. Why? Because Jesus isn't my greatest treasure anymore. And to some of us, some of us in this room, if we lost it all, we might be pulled away from Christ. But some of us, we might gain it all. We might be pulled away from Christ. But Paul tells us, I know how both to be abased and how to be abound. Why? Because Jesus is my treasure. Whether I lose it all or gain it all, Jesus is my treasure. And so I'm going to feel contentment and satisfaction. I'm going to be absolutely fulfilled because I have Jesus. Whether or not I have financial means is secondary. My love, my all, my treasure, my contentment, my fulfillment, my satisfaction, my peace is in Jesus, in Jesus alone. What is it going to look like when we understand what Paul understands? Secondly, we will learn to share our treasure with people who don't yet share our treasure. You can just nod your head with me if, if you've experienced this. Have you ever experienced you had a desire to share the gospel with somebody, but you, you felt 
insecure to the, to the point where you decided not to? Anybody else besides me? Yeah. But when Jesus becomes our greatest treasure, when, when, when we understand what Paul understands, we know it doesn't matter what these people have or don't have. Jesus is the greatest treasure. And it emboldens me to share the greatest treasure because there is no treasure greater. Well, this person's rich. Well, Jesus is better than that. Well, this person it has a different religion. Well, Jesus is better than that. Well, this person, they, they love, it doesn't matter, Jesus is better. When, when Jesus is our greatest treasure, we will become, um, we will become, we will learn to share our treasure with people because we know he's the greatest treasure. It doesn't matter what they're treasuring. Jesus is better. What, what, will, what will it look like when we begin to treasure Jesus above all? Thirdly, we will overcome sins that had previously made us slaves because we know Jesus is better. Paul writes to the Roman church in Romans 6. He says, Know ye not to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey his servants ye are to whom ye obey. Now we all understand this because you sing this all the time and you've been pre... Right, we all understand that we are redeemed. We are freed from the bondage of sin. Amen? But in our everyday practical living, some of us are still being dominated by sin. This is a pretty big room. There's enough people here that I'm not thinking badly of you, but I know this. In a crowd this size, there's probably some men in this room that you're being dominated by pornography. I say this to my church, so don't misunderstand me. I love you. But there are some men in this room right now that are being dominated. You are, you are a slave to sexual lust. You are a slave to it. And this is not me condemning you. This is me saying you need to make Jesus your greatest treasure because your only hope to overcoming that is Jesus. There's no steps. There's no, there's nothing. There is, when Jesus becomes your greatest treasure, you are able to begin overcoming things. That in 10 years, you look back and you think, I once was addicted to this. I no longer am. Not because I found, I found some steps. Not because I was given some tips. Not because I'm moral. Not because I have a strong willpower. But the reason I was able to overcome was because I've treasured Jesus above all else. And Jesus is better than the pleasure of sin for a season. So I'm overcoming some of the things that used to enslave me. Because Jesus is just that much better. And I'm not going back to those things. Because Jesus is better. And if by chance I do, I, I do fall back uh, Immediately, I get back up and I come back to Christ because Christ is better. I'm not lingering in it. I'm not, I'm not coming back to it and loving it. If I somehow fell back into it, I recognize the sin and the filth. And here I am. I love Jesus more than I love everything. And, and I don't exactly know why. I can't. Does anybody understand the struggle that I'm talking about? Paul understood it. Paul said, that I know what is good, but how to 
perform that which is good I find not. He says, I know what's good, I know what's wrong, I know what's, I know what's wonderful, I know what's self-destructive. Now, I don't think Paul was struggling with a pornography addiction. You know what I think he was struggling with? He's probably struggling with some pride. Why do I think that? Well, because that's a basic human nature. That is like our natural heart's default position is pride. And, oh, he's got to fight it every day. But Paul... Paul is overcoming because he treasures Jesus. Fourthly, what will it look like? We will will love more completely because we have begun to understand God's love more completely. We are going to love. You're going to love your spouse better. You're going to love your kids better. You're going to love your coworkers. You're going to love your neighbors. You're going to love people better. Why? Because you are You are understanding God's love for you better. You're treasuring Jesus above all, and you are realizing and learning and experiencing the love of Jesus in such a way that it changes the way you love. How is is treasuring Jesus, what's this going to look like? Well, I'm going to love church, not because of programs, but because this is where we congregate as a family. And I'm not even always going to agree with everything. I'm not going to agree with Pastor Josh and and everything. And that's okay. But I'm going to love church anyway. I'm not going to let some minor disagreement derail me from church. Because church isn't about Pastor Josh. Church isn't about Jenny. Church isn't about Ben. Church isn't about Nick. Church is about Jesus. I came here to worship Jesus today. It's not about the programs. Well, they cut my favorite program. They didn't cut Jesus? <laughs> Keep coming, right? I'm going to love church. Why? Because this is where we lift up Jesus together. This is where we lift up Jesus. Number six, what's it going to look like? Well, we will more easily spend time in prayer and Bible study because we see God's word as life-giving and prayer as precious, intimate, personal time. How many of you like me? Now, listen, I'm going to be really honest with you. I'm almost done. I mean, like, like, I'm almost done. Stay with me, all right? I love you guys. I know Pastor Josh preaches for like two hours. You're, this is early, okay? Um, how many of you in this room... You just nod with me if, if you know what I'm talking about. You know you should read more or pray more, and you wish you read more and wish you prayed more, and there are times that you even try to read more and try to pray more, but it, it can be, sometimes it doesn't feel like worship in that moment. It feels more like work. Anybody you with me? Okay, I'm nodding my head because this is true about me, okay? Or I'm with you. You and me, we are the same, okay? Now, When Jesus is our greatest treasure, we more easily spend time in the word. Because when Jesus is my greatest treasure, these are words of life. And when Jesus is my greatest treasure, I more easily spend time in prayer. You know why? Because it's not a duty anymore. It's not not a duty like it used to be because 
Well, this is now becoming personal, intimate time between me and God. Why? Jesus is my greatest treasure. It's changing everything about me. That's the point. When Jesus is your greatest treasure, it changes everything about you. Question, church, just be vocal with me just for a minute. I know we're Baptists, right? Do we all want Jesus to be our greatest treasure? I know you do. I know you do. Right? I do too. Now, this is our need because, and this is our need. Every single person in this room has this need. You know why? Because we are prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. We don't even want to. We have no intention to, but we're prone to wander. We all need this. Look at Philippians 3, and we're going we're gonna to close. Paul, he says, I want you to understand what I understand, right? Philippians chapter 3, verse number 12. Not as though I had already attained. Either we're already perfect, but I follow after. If that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. What's he saying? I want to know him, verse 10. And I'm seeking to know him. I am seeking to apprehend Jesus because he has already apprehended me. I'm seeking to know him. I'm seeking to understand who he is, what he has done for me. I'm seeking to dive into the gospel. I'm, I'm seeking to make him my greatest treasure in life, right? Um, uh, I count not my life. He said, what does he say? I says, I count not myself to have apprehended. Even Paul himself says, I've not even yet got it all. You know what Paul says? I want you to understand this, church. I want you to understand Jesus needs to be your greatest treasure. You know what Paul says at the end of the book? I'm still, I'm still chasing after to make Jesus my greatest treasure. You know what that tells me? That every heart in this room needs to make sure Jesus is their greatest treasure. Because this is not a, well, this is never a one-time decision. Oh yeah, I made Jesus my, I made Jesus my greatest treasure on, on July 10th, 2016. It doesn't work like that. Making Jesus our greatest treasure is something that needs to continually be happening in us. We must be doers of the word and not hearers only. Paul says, I am apprehending that for which I am also apprehended. Remember that Jesus died for us. Why did Jesus die for us? Jesus dies for us to have you for himself. You think Jesus' greatest motivation for dying for you was for you? Jesus' greatest motivation for dying for you was for for him to have you. Jesus dies for us so that he can have you and so that you can be complete in him. Because without Jesus, we'll never be complete. Without Jesus, we'll never be satisfied. It doesn't matter where we look. It doesn't matter where we search for peace or fulfillment or joy. It doesn't matter what we, what we search, where we search. We'll never find it without Jesus. And this is why Jesus needs to be my greatest treasure. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.